The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to stop focusing on business problems and start focusing on the growth and leadership of your business. Welcome to The Business Edge with your host, Marsha Zeidel. Learn to create a growth agenda to get your business on the right track and keep it there. Rev up your growth engine with exceptional talent and develop the right kind of leadership to move it forward fast. Now, here is Marsha Zeidel. Welcome to the Business Edge, giving practical advice to entrepreneurs and business leaders and how to take your company, firm, or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. I'm Marcia Zeidel, your Smart Moves Coach, getting you on the right track and making sure you don't get sidetracked in your drive for high performance and profitability. Let's start with a Smart Moves question. Leaders, do your people trust you? Each leader has a credibility bank account. Each day deposits positive experiences by your staff, customers, and other key stakeholders are made into your account. And withdrawals, big and little disappointments, are also made into this account. Every day your account grows or declines. So leaders, What's your credibility bank account worth today? Does it need a cash infusion? In regard to leadership credibility, you can't buy it, trade for it, or even go on eBay for it. You must earn it and live it. A leader who exemplifies this is my guest today, Paul Spiegelman, Chief Culture Officer of Sterocycle, a global service organization with 13,000 employees. As the former CEO of Barrel Health, Paul led a unique people-centered culture for a company that won nine Best Place to Work awards, including number two Best Medium-Sized Company to Work For in America. Paul was honored with the Ernst & Young 2010 Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Paul is a sought-after speaker and author on leadership, employee engagement, entrepreneurship, corporate culture, and customer relations. He's made frequent radio and TV appearances and writes a column on Culture for Inc. He will share his story simply as a practitioner, not a consultant, or with anything to sell but his enthusiasm for changing the way business is done. Paul, it's a delight to have you on the program. Pleasure to be with you, Marcia. So let's get started. You've written several books about culture and employment, and there are three that I'd like to mention. Uh, the first is, why is everyone smiling? The secret behind passion, productivity, and profit. And then in a follow-up book called Smile Guide, Employees' Perspective on Culture, Loyalty, and Profit, 
you let your employees do the talking in that book. And you have an upcoming book called Patient Come Second, Leading by Change. Change the way you lead. So let's start with how and when did, did writing books become important to you? Well, I wrote my first book, Marcia, in 2007. And for several years there, I knew that what we had created at our company, Barrel Health, was unique. And I also started to think about my personal legacy and the way that our own employees would think about their time with Barrel or look back on their time with Barrel if they moved on. And I really wanted to have something that even my, my kids could look at and remember what their dad did. So uh, I decided to tell the that story, mostly biographical, in the first book called Why Is Everyone Smiling? And the hope that not only would it serve well for our own co-workers, but that we could use this as a way to convince other leaders about the connection between employee engagement and driving a profitable business. And then what followed was your second book, as I said, Smile Guide, Employee Perspective on Culture, Loyalty, and Profit. How did that come about? Well, within a couple of years, uh, we realized that that we had an opportunity, and the opportunity was to create essentially a toolkit or a field guide for leaders. And I don't necessarily mean the CEO of the company, but those middle managers and supervisors that are really looking for very practical tools about how to develop a great culture internally, how to find good people, how to train them, how to deal with employee retention issues, how to worry about those that don't fit the culture, um, all the things that are important to maintaining that culture over time. And uh, I thought, what better way to do it than to have it written in the voice of our own employees? So we had 20 of our co-workers who volunteered and actually wrote the chapters of the book. And uh, so it's very much of a how-to designed to help other leaders build cultures of greatness in their organizations. And then I believe you have a third book uh, coming out, which is Patients Come Second. Um, tell me about that, because that's a very, most people would say patients come first. You're saying patients come second. So why do you say that? Well, yes, it's a quite a provocative title. Well, my company, Barrel Health, uh, is a healthcare services company that improves the patient experience in hospitals across the country. So having been familiar with the healthcare industry, I began to see that uh, amongst all industries, healthcare is actually one of the worst in terms of employee engagement and culture. And nowadays, with all the changes in healthcare and all the public information that's available to consumers, the world of healthcare is changing, and we have greater choice in, in our healthcare providers, who we see, etc. And this term, patient-centric care or patients first, is a big buzzword nowadays in healthcare, so it's all about the patient. And what we're saying, and I co-wrote that book with a CEO of a large hospital in Dallas by the name of Britt Barrett, what we're saying is that we're only going to be able to heal or fix our patient if we first heal and fix ourselves. And it's really the same theme about engaging our own employees in their work, making them feel like that they're working for a purpose bigger than their job. And uh, that's a big issue in healthcare today. And actually, that book came out uh, in March, 
and oh. uh, has really struck a chord. So the title is um, got people's attention. And when they realize what's behind the title and the fact that what we really mean is employees come first, uh, then they get it. And uh, and the, the book has done very well. Made you know New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal, USA Today. Um, so it's obviously a message that's worth delivering right now. Well, you know, I did. You have, um, as I said in your intro, that you've written, you do articles for uh, Inc. And one of the articles um, that I looked at was why you should care about hospital culture. And that was in March, I believe, probably about the same time the, the book came out. And you said, the sad reality in that article, you said the sad reality is that although hospitals are chock full of dedicated people who have a heart for service and caring, they work in some of the most dysfunctional cultures around. Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, what happens is in hospitals, and it's really no one's fault, but if you think about it, you have doctors who have been highly trained for 15 years in their area of expertise, but really trained in a silo, and they mm -hmm. end up feeling like they're on top of the world, they know their craft, and it's true that they do. And the same thing with nurses who go to nursing school and learn their craft. And then you have hospital administrators. But the fact is that nowhere on the curriculum of any of those professionals do you have how to collaborate with people, how to work as a team, how to function together to serve a common customer, in this case, the patient. And think about it, nobody wants to be our customer, right? So nobody wakes up in the morning <laughs> and says, I would love to go to the hospital today. So right. we're now faced with kind of this dysfunctional team that has to serve a patient in a life or death, many times life or death situation. So that makes for a very difficult culture. And, and now we're trying to break those silos down, get people to realize that the key to developing a positive culture is to have a, is to build great teams and to collaborate together. And the message for consumers is that just like you can go on the web today and find a uh, the ratings for a doctor or a hospital or find quality metrics that are going to help you make that decision. You need to start asking questions about that hospital that your doctor is going to take you to. What's their level of engagement? How are it satisfied are their employees? Questions you wouldn't have thought to ask because if those people are not happy doing what they're doing, they're not going to do as good a job treating you or a loved one. So we just need to start answer, asking these different questions. You know, um, and one of the things in that article that you uh, wrote about is, um, you know, the, the question was, so how can you assess the culture of a hospital? And you said the same way you would any other business. Do the employees smile? Um, that seems so simplistic. But is it really? Um, can you really gauge a company's culture or a hospital's culture just from looking at the employees and interacting with them? Uh, there's no question. If you think about any business that you interact with, when you walk into a restaurant or you walk into a retail outlet, you can tell the vibe of that organization. You can tell if the employees seem happy. That's why I titled my first book, Why Is Everyone Smiling? Because I constantly got that comment when people would visit us at Barrel Health. They'd tour the facility, they'd meet with me after they toured the facility, and they'd say, gosh, why is everyone smiling? Everyone seems so happy. And I said, I don't know, ask them. 
Um, and, and it just became this common refrain. And you realize when you get on a plane at Southwest Airlines, you can tell that those mm-hmm. employees are happy and they're more likely to be smiling. They're more likely to be providing great service. You think about that at, a, at your favorite restaurant. Right. We have so much choice nowadays. So uh, it's no different in a hospital. And when, if you're not feeling good about yourself, if you're not feeling valued in what you do, um, it's going to come across in the way you treat and you care for your patients. So th- those are things to look for in a physician's office or in a hospital as well. Right. And we have about um, about a minute or so left. Um can you talk about the the the, the competitiveness that that employees that that people are shopping now for doctors for hospitals? That wasn't the case years ago, but I think it is the case now, isn't it? It is the case because there used to be blind trust in our providers. A physician told us to do something, we did it. Said, "I'm going to I'm going to admit you to this hospital." We went. Well, now we realize not all physicians are created equal. Some have great bedside manner, some don't. Generally, you're going to get a good clinical outcome. But the fact is that the economics are what are driving this. We're now dealing with um, high deductible health plans. We have more responsibility for our own health care, both financially as well as the choices that we make. So with those choices, we have to look at um, the ratings of, of doctors. We have to. We can go online and check reviews. All those same things, which are very important. Um, and then we can do the same thing for a hospital. We can find out their quality metrics. We can find out whether they, um, how they're rated by the government. And people are just starting to find out that this information is publicly available. And what I'm saying is that we need to go beyond that to then ask questions around the employee satisfaction of that hospital as well, and ask them to say, tell me about how you treat your employees. Tell me about their level of engagement or show me some of those results. Because if I'm going to take my kids in or one of my loved ones into the hospital, Mm -hmm. I'm going to start asking those questions. I want to make sure that those people are happy and feel fulfilled in what they do because that's going to deliver better treatment. Yes, of course, because, um, you know, um, this is these can be life and death uh, uh, situations. So um, uh, the the people who work in hospitals need to be attuned to that and to the anxiety and the concerns of the patients and their families. And I think we've all experienced both good patient care and not so good patient care. On that note, it's time for a short break. Uh, this is Marcia Zidle, your Smart Moves coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth on Voice America's business channel. When we return, Paul will continue talking about the idea of leading a change by changing the way you lead. Tune in. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
Where will your business be five years from now? Will you be soaring or just getting by? Of course you want to grow and prosper, but with growth comes bigger headaches. More hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more plates to juggle, more stress, and more demands on your time. Yes, there is a solution. It's the Smart Growth System, created by Marsha Zidal, executive coach to business leaders. It will give you the tools to take the growing pains out of growth. Get a free consultation and assessment from Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. There's a saying, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Are you satisfied with what you're getting? Are you ready to get something different? To get the business edge, bring Marsha Zidal, the Smart Moves author and professional speaker, to your next meeting, conference, or retreat. What you get is more than just stories and motivation. Marsha delivers big ideas with big impact to fast-track your business and your leadership. Schedule your next keynote or presentation now at Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidal. To reach Marsha or her guests on today's show, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send us an email to Marsha at smartmovescoach.com. Now, back to The Business Edge. Welcome back. This is Marsha Zidal, your Smart Moves Coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth. My guest today is Paul Spiegelman, and we were talking about his books and the idea of health, what's happening in healthcare. And now we're going to kind of go back to how he started his business. Um, and so, Paul, tell me about how you started uh, Borough Health and with your bro- uh, brothers and actually to just go into that history. Sure, Marcia. Well, like many entrepreneurs, I started uh my business really as a bootstrap business many years ago. Uh, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, and my brothers and I always wanted to do something together. We just didn't know what it would be or when we would do it. And uh, back in 85, my older brother had his own company building alarm systems for people's homes, and our grandfather happened to be in and out of the hospital with uh, congestive heart failure. And Mark thought of this idea of being able to help our grandfather if he needed it in an emergency. We've all seen those commercials over the years, I fall and I can't get up, where somebody presses a button and Mm -hmm. gets Mm -hmm. help. And that wasn't us. We never could afford to sell to the public. But we had a similar idea that we could use just for people with medical conditions. And so our idea was that we could go to hospitals and offer the service for people that left the hospital. Mm -hmm. So we started building this little unit that had a speakerphone in it that we would put in people's homes. And we started our own response center, which was literally an 8 by 10 room, a conference room. And and because we were going to be a 24-7 business, one of us had to sleep overnight on a cot waiting for calls to come in. And I became the sales guy and would go out to these local hospitals in Los Angeles and get them to send their patients to us. And we would charge people $25 a month for the service. And uh, so we built it up slowly and we had maybe 100 of these units out there, which meant we were generating about $2,500 a month for the business. Not a whole lot for three guys to get along on, but we, you know, it was, it was enough. We were young. Nobody owned anything or was married or anything like that. And uh, so then we started to try to raise money. 
and we tried to raise, we built a business plan, tried to raise a, a million two in $15,000 increments, and all we could raise was $15,000, just one friend of our dad's who gave us a check. And so we realized we were going to have to just put our heads down and work hard. And, and a couple months later, I'm working on a Saturday night, and we end up saving the life of a woman who had been beaten and stabbed and locked in a closet and, you know, just a... Traumatic experience, but uh, we ended up getting a front page story in the LA Times and kept our business alive. Didn't make us rich, but kept us going. And and um, then we had a hospital who approached us and asked us to offer a service for them. We had never heard of it. It was called a physician referral service, where people would call the hospital looking for doctors. Mm-hmm. And she asked us if we could put in a phone line, answer it in the name of the hospital, and they would give us list of doctors, and we could give out those names when people called in. And so we became an outsourced provider of call center services for hospitals, and we sold our original business in 94 and uh, and grew that business. And so to this day, that's essentially what we do is we help improve the customer service of hospitals across the U.S. by connecting patients to healthcare, whether it's uh, referrals to a physician or managing calls for community education programs. We call patients after they leave the hospital to make sure they're doing okay. So we basically work with about 500 hospitals across the country to uh, provide these outsourced services to them. And uh, all from the little start that we had, we moved the business to Texas in the mid-90s when we were hired by a large healthcare company to build a national center for, for them. We ended up buying it and moving our California location into to that site. Um, so uh, we built the company up quite nicely to where it generated about um, $40 million in revenue, um, all through the calls that we were taking for these hospitals to help them improve service. And uh, ended up starting a couple other businesses, one called the Barrel Institute, which is really a thought leadership entity around the patient experience. And the other is um, uh, really more um, beneficial to this conversation. It's called the Small Giants Community, uh, and it's based on a book called Small Giants, Companies That Choose to Be Great Instead of Big. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. idea is that uh, it's a community of leaders who feel that driving a values-based business is more important than how fast we grow and how quickly uh, or how big we grow. So um, it's been really nice to be able to take my passion for employees and culture and try to share those best practices with other leaders. Uh, and then, as you said, uh, we sold our core business, Barrel Health, back in November of 2012 to a, a large public company in healthcare called Stericycle. Um, quite a different world, uh, public company in 13 countries with 13,000 employees. And a uh, big decision to make from, you know, owning our own destiny for all these years to selling to a public company and then, um, uh, moving on from there. So now I spend um, my time trying to help convince other leaders um, about this whole impact of, of culture and employee engagement, which is really a passion that grew on me over the years growing my business. Well, you know, your story is is a wonderful story of entrepreneurship. Um, how... An idea, and a lot of times you get an idea from a situation you, you're in, a need that's not being filled, as you talked about with your grandfather. And then you, you got that idea, and you had some hard knocks. Um, 
but you've you you've built it into a very thriving business which you recently uh, sold and so i want to go back a bit because you talk so much about culture um how did you instill a the culture that you wanted at barrel health um what did you do how did you how did you make that happen well let me start by talking about why we did that, and uh, mm-hmm. the question I often get is when we decided that we wanted to run the business this way, where employee engagement and culture was really our secret sauce. And my answer to that is really that we never decided. Um, we had never run a business before. People say, well, did you work somewhere else? Did you have a bad experience? Did you want to do things differently? And, and none of those were really the case. And as I think about it, I think it boils down to the values that our parents raised us with. Mm-hmm. Uh, simple values like treat people with respect, always be nice, never burn a bridge. Those are the things that I remember. And as we started to build our business, um, those are the things that we did. And what we realized after only a couple of years is that our small number of employees, whether it was 10 or 15 at the time, would say, wow, this is a fun place to work. And we said, well, mm-hmm. what makes it fun? And they said, well, you seem to generally care about us, and, and you we do things together. We have fun. We go to events. And, and then we'd say, well, where did you used to work? And then we'd hear these stories about all the nightmare uh, employment situations that they had before. And so we learned early on that what we were doing was unique. And then we said, you know what? Um, this is a way for us to really brand our business, and we're going to make this what all that we're about. And not only was it the right thing to do, but we found out that it was really good for business because we could essentially sell our culture. Since we were providing outsourced customer service, we could position ourselves as a premium provider. We ended up charging 30 to 40% more than our next closest competitor because we would be able to connect our culture to our customers. And, and building a, a great culture is the combination of many, many things, all of which are small, and yet together are very significant. So it starts with, for example, having mission, vision, values, so the basic foundation of having people feel like there's a purpose uh, for which they're at work that's greater than the job or the person themselves, and how we go through the process of establishing those core values that guide our decisions every day. It's mm-hmm. about reward and recognition, training and development, um, showing that we care about people in the totality of their lives. Many small things that we do uh, that add up to what we believe and hope is a great culture. And so, um, so now that you've sold the business, um, to a public company. Are you worried that this will dilute or ruin your culture at all? Well, I I can't be honest and say it doesn't uh, worry me or it isn't something I've thought about. Um, Since this has really been uh, so important to me my whole career, uh, I knew that if I were ever to sell the company, that the thing that would be most important to me would be to protect the culture and protect the legacy of the business. And um, and that's a really hard thing to do. A couple of years ago, I almost sold the company to a private equity firm. And as a matter of fact, I had signed a letter of intent, um, was in due diligence. And at the 11th hour, I walked away when I realized that the business model of a private equity firm was simply not compatible mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the kind of company that we had built. And, and so I, the culture is really the reason I walked away. 
And then we were approached by a public company, and some would say, well, wait, you know, how are you going to keep your culture there? They're just going to suck you into their culture, and um, it's going to tear you apart. Um, but I spent a year talking to this one company and realized that not only did they respect our culture, but they seemed to want to take our best practices and make them part of their culture. And the turning point for me was conversations I had with their CEO, who was very vulnerable with me by telling me that while they had had great financial success as a company and were very customer-focused, that they had really not focused as well as they should on the employee as the key stakeholder. And this gentleman had just been nominated to be the new CEO, and he wanted this to be his legacy. And he, and he wanted to come and visit me, come from Chicago to Dallas, and learn how we did it. And he did that, made several trips. And so I knew that this was genuine, and it was from the top. And so I saw, I felt very confident that what we had built would, would sustain over time. Well, on that note, it's time for a short break. Um, this is Marcia Zidle, your Smart Moves coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth on Voice America's business channel. When we return, Paul will continue with, and we're going to be talking about uh, culture and profitability and how can this and why leaders don't get it. So stay tuned. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Where will your business be five years from now? Will you be soaring or just getting by? Of course you want to grow and prosper, but with growth comes bigger headaches. More hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more plates to juggle, more stress, and more demands on your time. Yes, there is a solution. It's the Smart Growth System, created by Marsha Zidle, executive coach to business leaders. It will give you the tools to take the growing pains out of growth. Get a free consultation and assessment from Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. There's a saying, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Are you satisfied with what you're getting? Are you ready to get something different? To get the business edge, bring Marsha Zidal, the Smart Moves author and professional speaker, to your next meeting, conference, or retreat. What you get is more than just stories and motivation. Marsha delivers big ideas with big impact to fast-track your business and your leadership. Schedule your next keynote or presentation now at Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. To reach Marsha or her guests on today's show, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send us an email to Marsha at smartmovescoach.com. Now, back to The Business Edge. Welcome back. 
this is Marcia Zidal, your Smart Moves Coach. You're listening to The Business Edge. And I'm talking with Paul Spiegelman and about corporate culture. We just finished talking about how he, um, the, the importance of culture in business uh, and how he started his business and, and how it grew. And now we're going to be talking, looking at, you know, uh, the great story, Paul, great story. But, uh, you know, the hard-nosed businessmen out there who have stockholders, who want to, you know, they're going to say, well, what's the connection between culture and profit? I mean, why should we do this? Why should we believe in this? So, Paul, what's your answer to these hard-nosed business people? Well, I think that it's not an easy answer, and it's um, something that's going to take time and reflection to change. But the fact is that business is not generally done this way. Uh, Financials are still looked at as a leading indicator in business, and that's what drives decisions, particularly in large public companies. And you have leaders that are under constant pressure to deliver for their shareholders and their stakeholders, and they're going to stick to that plan until and such time comes that we can validate through data that there is a true connection between engagement, customer loyalty, and profit. Some of that is already out there, and we're actually doing some more work to gather more data. And I'll give you a couple examples. Okay. There was a great book uh, written called Firms of Endearment in 2007 uh, by Wolf, W-O-L-F-E, and it chronicled public companies, all that we have heard of, Southwest Airlines, Whole Foods, Container Store, Harley-Davidson, and said, what is unusual about these companies? What there are what is common amongst these companies? And it was this multi stakeholder approach where they put their people first and drove profitability. And these companies these what they call firms of endearment over a 10-year period uh, generated 1,026% return for their investors. Now, if you look at the companies in the book Good to Great, which many of us know, Jim Collins' mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. book on business, and you take the companies that he talked about in that same 10-year period, they generated 330% return. And also during that 10-year period, if you look at the S&P 500, it generated 122%. So there's evidence right there that culture pays. And what we have done in the last year is we are working with a uh, organization, a college in Chicago called Benedictine University and the Center for Values-Driven Leadership to do a three-year study to look at this connection between culture and profit. And we're surveying thousands of companies over this three-year period and doing deep dive case studies of 40 or 50 companies so we can have more data to validate this. Because to answer your question, many leaders are going to look at it and say, oh, that's just the soft stuff or that doesn't really matter. And the fact is, I believe this is the hard stuff. And we need to be looking at people as the leading indicator of business, not financials. Well, I remember reading a phrase that said the soft stuff is really the hard stuff. In other words, focusing on the people will will uh, generate that the, the the profitability. Is that what you're saying? Um, That's absolutely right. Um, if you look at my business, which I grew over 28 years, uh, essentially we're a call center business. And when, when you think of call centers, you think of the low morale, low 
margin, boiler room operations, and we decided we were going to build a different kind of business. So as you said, we built a company that was a nine-time best place to work company. We were five to six times more profitable than our competitors. We had attrition at a fraction of what you would see for normal call centers, all because we had this philosophy that if we treat our people well, if we give them an environment in which they love what they do every day, that they're going to work harder for us. And that's exactly what we saw and what you can see in these other companies as well. So it's important to realize that the companies out there may not be wired this way today, but if they see the light, if they're willing to change, and if they're willing to go down this path, which honestly could take a number of years, they can build these kind of cultures in virtually any type of organization. Um, so some leaders are, are get it or are getting it, and some leaders aren't getting it. Why, why do you think that some leaders don't see – I mean, it seems so um, – it's not simplistic, but it seems – uh, like it, it would make so sensible. So, w- what's preventing leaders from from going down this road? I think we're all just a product of our experiences, Marcia. And so, uh, between that, how we were brought up, uh, the uh, the businesses that we worked in, where we weren't particularly mm-hmm. treated well, or that wasn't mm-hmm. the philosophy of leadership, uh, and then the pressures that we have to grow our businesses um, have grown the leaders that we have today. And I hate to say it, but in some cases, I think we're going to have to have some turnover in leaders. Um, and I, what I'm seeing is that the younger people that are getting into business, that are becoming entrepreneurs, just by virtue of the way they were brought up, feel like that life is about more than just making money. Of course, we all want to make more money and be successful, but they want to have meaning in their life. They want to have purpose, and they're they're starting businesses that help make the world a better place, have social value. And so some of that's just going to be generational, and we might have to go through a couple more generations before we really see that this is the way that business runs uh, as a standard way. Well, um, moving along, um, you know, you've given me both – you've given me hope um, that that the – that the business that leaders will change and that over time more companies more organizations are going to have this kind of culture with with employees smiling you know and 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 their customers smiling and engagement and teamwork and things like that so on that note i'd like to transition to something that's on your website, um, and it's it's called the Culture IQ, and I know people can go go to your website. And you may want to talk about it, and they can take uh, take this assessment. But tell me about what is what is the Culture IQ, and how did it get developed? Sure. Well, the Culture IQ came from a time when my co-author and I um, of my our, my most recent book were trying to figure out how do we create stickiness to our ideas. And I'm not never much more for uh, business algorithms or models. I think you have to make it as simple as possible for people to implement tactical ideas to improve and become better leaders. And so the Cultural IQ is a simple test that people can take for any type of business, and they can see it at my website at paulspiegelman.com. And uh, it's free. Um, it's literally a two- to three-minute test, and you answer ten questions about 
the 10 things that we think drive engagement in any organization. And you rate those 10 questions on a scale of 1 to 10, so your total score is going to be 0 to 100. And with your score, you're going to immediately get a couple things. One is you're going to understand where your gaps are. Two is you're going to understand what's important by just looking at the 10 questions. And third, you're going to be able to work with your team to build a framework for an action plan to improve that score over time. So it's a very practical tool to say, hey, if we scored a 62, uh, which maybe isn't great. We want to get to an 85 over the next three years. What do we need to do to get there? Uh, and lastly, what the tool does is it gives the opportunity to send a link to everyone in your organization. So you can have other people in the organization fill it out, and we can give you a free comparative study and shows how people in the organization look at the culture. Because interestingly, you might have a CEO who gives a score of an 86 and thinks things are going very well, and then you get down to someone in the front line who gives it a 32. Well, we've got a disconnect there, right? We've got to figure out how to bridge mm-hmm. that gap if people at different levels of the organization think that the culture or the level of engagement looks different. So um, so that's up there on the website. But the key to the cultural IQ is to understand what those points are. And I can share a few of them with you. One of them is the idea of uh, vision and values and the fact that you have to have that in place. And it can't be a plaque on the wall. It has to be those behaviors that no matter what in the business doesn't, whatever in the business changes, those values will not change. And we'll use them to make our decisions every day. Another one is simply having fun in the workplace. And I don't care what kind of business you have, and I even talk to hospitals and nurses and things about doing this, you can have fun at work. Um, In our call center, we have dress-up days and family nights and movie nights and um, all sorts of annual events um, where the leaders um, let their hair down and and do fun things together. Um, Another one is is simply showing that you care about your employees and the totality of their lives. For example, if there's a birth, a death, someone runs the marathon, someone's kid graduates from college, how do we recognize those events and maybe send a personal note card to their home? Is there a system we can put in a place to make sure we recognize everyone? Um, Another one has to do with people, not only hiring the right people, but getting rid of people that don't fit. Because today, there's so many people that have the skills to do the job we want them to do, but do they fit into our culture? And how do we screen for that? And more importantly, what happens when we find people that are negative influencers and that truly don't belong in the organization? That's always the lowest score on the test. And the question is whether we have the courage to get rid of the wrong people in the organization. And people generally don't have that courage. And as leaders, that's a huge responsibility and a missed opportunity for us. And that's to move people on that don't fit so we can spend more time with the right people in the organization. So there's a a few examples of what's in the culture IQ. And uh, before we take a break, uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they can uh, take this uh, take assessment? And you may want to spell your last name just because uh, uh, um, they may they may get it wrong. So why don't you you know where can they get this assessment? Yeah, they can get it at my website. It's Paul Spiegelman. It's all together. It's S P I E. G E L 
Agriculture IQ, and it's right there in the results they get right away, real time. And I've gone to it, and it's a it's it's really quick, easy, simple, but it but there are really good nuggets of of uh, information. So I would encourage all our listeners to go to paulspiegelman.com. It's time for a short break. Uh, this is Marsha Zidal, your Smart Moves coach. You're listening to The Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth on Voice America's business channel. When we return, uh, Paul will finish up with maybe a couple of quick uh, uh, tips or advice leaders who want to go down this road of improving their culture. Stay tuned. <music> making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Where will your business be five years from now? Will you be soaring or just getting by? Of course you want to grow and prosper, but with growth comes bigger headaches. More hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more plates to juggle, more stress, and more demands on your time. Yes, there is a solution. It's the Smart Growth System, created by Marsha Zidal, executive coach to business leaders. It will give you the tools to take the growing pains out of growth. Get a free consultation and assessment from Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. There's a saying, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Are you satisfied with what you're getting? Are you ready to get something different? To get the business edge, bring Marsha Zidal, the smart moves author and professional speaker, to your next meeting, conference, or retreat. What you get is more than just stories and motivation. Marsha delivers big ideas with big impact to fast-track your business and your leadership. Schedule your next keynote or presentation now at Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidal. To reach Marsha or her guests on today's show, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send us an email to Marsha at smartmovescoach.com. Now, back to The Business Edge. Welcome back to The Business Edge. This is Marsha Zidal, your Smart Moves Coach. And I am talking with Paul Spiegelman, who has just written the book um, uh, about leading change by changing the way you lead. And in this final uh, segment, Paul's going to give us some really quick tips uh, to leaders how to go down this road of improving their culture. Well, you know, Marcia, there's a couple things that people need to do, particularly those that aren't necessarily wired this way or, or haven't yet gone down that road. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great for people that are interested in um, changing the way they lead by building a better internal culture. And the first thing I would do is tell a leader that you need to be vulnerable and honest and open with your team and tell them that you want to uh, build a better culture for the organization, pull that team together. The second is to make the exercise 
very inclusive. There's, in every organization, passionate people that would love to participate and volunteer their time in this kind of effort. So it starts with that mission, vision, and values. It starts with that session, a cross-functional session of team members to get together and decide what those core values are, those behaviors that will be the guidepost for decision-making. Do that as a group, and then put together a committee of people, call it a culture committee. We called it the BBB, or Better Barrel Bureau. Um, And it ended up being 70 people in our company of 400 who sit together on a regular basis and, and have committees around community service events, reward and recognition, et cetera, to make sure that it's being institutionalized because you want to create things that are going to work over time. You can't just have a keg on Friday and say we've got a great culture. You have to be genuine. You have to be willing to go down this road, and you have to be inclusive. And I think if you do that, people will generate what you mentioned at the top of the show is most important in business, and that's trust trust of your leaders and trust of each other. Uh, if people want more, they can get that from my website, Uh Look at my ink column, The Culture Gap, and uh, or look at the books um, and share best practices and share their stories with each other. Well, thank you so much, Paul. This has been a very exciting um, time with you. Um, on a personal note, boy, would I love to work for the company, for your company, if I had the experience. It sounds great. Um, now we're going to go to Marsha's Musings, and I'm um, going to tell you a little story. It's a hot, sultry Texas day. Everyone's sitting on the front porch, comfortably playing dominoes. Dad says, anyone want to go to Abilene for dinner? Everyone agrees. They have a miserable ride in an unair conditioned car, a lousy dinner, and a miserable ride back. As it turns out, no one wanted to go, but no one wanted to disagree, thinking, I don't want to rock the boat. This is a true family story written by management expert Dr. Jerry P. Harvey. He started to wonder, why does this happen? Why do work groups, management teams, or boards embark on excursions that most members don't want to take? Listeners, have you experienced this? You individually are part of a small group, agree privately in the parking lot or in the cafeteria about the nature of the situation or problem that's happening in your organization and what steps should be taken to deal with it. However, You fail to communicate your thoughts during a meeting. You're thinking, I don't want to say anything for fear of hurting Mary. Or, why would they believe me? Or, I may get my head chopped off if I disagree with Joe. You see, with such incomplete or inaccurate information, work groups and teams, just like families, make collective decisions that lead them to take actions contrary to what they want to do. As a result, people experience frustration and even anger because they they don't know what they're doing is not getting them to where they want to, to be. They're going to Abilene when they prefer to do something else. Then this happens. Dissatisfied and disgruntled people form into subgroups with like-minded folks and start blaming others for the problems they're experiencing. 
such as missed deadlines, lower customer satisfaction, decrease in productivity. As a result, management panics and decides a new program, a new process, a new procedure, a new project will solve the problem. Only it doesn't. So what's the solution? Many believe that managing conflict is one of the greatest challenges faced by organizations. But Harvey suggested that it's the inability to manage agreement when making decisions that causes groups and organizations to get on the road to Abilene. In other words, sidetracked, off track, or on the wrong track. So here's a smart moves tip. An undesired and frustrating tip trip to Abilene in 104 degree heat should be a compelling image in our minds of the critical need to attend to how we manage agreements in our teams, in our departments, in our business units or projects. It requires getting everyone's ideas, doubts, concerns, questions on the table and fully discussed before making a decision. That's how you get real acceptance and most important commitment by your people. Listeners, how often do you find your executive team on the road to Abilene? Let me show you how to not get sidetracked, off track, or on the wrong track. Contact me at Marsha at Smart Moves Coach. That's Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. Or call me at 972-380-9181. When you do, I'll send you 60 ways to build a profitable business. Now, let's get to next week's program. It's the Berkman Method, Our Personality at Work by Sharon Fink, President and CEO of Berkman International. Whether you're wondering if you are in the right career, looking to change jobs, or trying to improve work relationships, you just begin by understanding who you are and what makes you tick. The Berkman Method is the only personality assessment to reveal the critical DNA underneath that drives productivity and job satisfaction. So if you want a guide to achieving more inspired leadership, better team harmony, and a higher individual achievement, tune in Wednesday, June 12th, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. I'll end with my favorite saying, there are three kinds of people in this world, those who make it happen, those who let it happen, those who ask, what happened? Which one are you? If you're highly motivated to make it happen, let me help you make it happen. Call me now for a free consult at 972-380-9181 or email Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. Thank you for listening. Tune in every week, 11 Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, for The Business Edge with Marcia Zeidel, the Smart Moves executive coach and speaker. 
helping entrepreneurs and business leaders take their company, firm, or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. Remember, listeners, if you keep doing what you're always doing, you'll get what you've always gotten. Start doing something different this week to keep moving forward. Innovate, improve, ignite, or die. Make smart moves. Thank you. You've been listening to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. Please join us again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And enjoy taking your business to the next level. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.